It involves it involves an anecdotal story I had about when I was uh, in elementary school in fifth grade. Ooh. I, I had this music teacher. Um, his name was oh, I think it was Jerry uh, Eus. I think like I O U S or something. But um, he had really bad B O, and so he was always like it, it was noticeable, and he always had to like spray himself down. And he he actually wrote jazz himself, and so. Uh, we came up with this nickname for him. Uh, he was uh, Mr. E.S. Axe Man because of his body spray, Jazz. So, wait, what? Wait, wait. Mr. E.S. <laughs> Axe Man's Jazz? That sounds oddly similar to what we're going to be talking about on this week's episode of the Song Topsy Report. Right, Steve? I'm going to straight up murder you with an axe. <laughs> There's the Steve we know and love. Uh, yes, where we dissect bad, bizarre, or otherwise noteworthy music to figure out how it died here on the Song Topsy Report. Uh, I'm your host, Nick Brigadier. I'm Mike Russell. And I'm sharpening it up right now, Steve Trollinger. Steve, you shouldn't be in a bad mood. This is a very, uh, this is the first B-side I think we've done in quite a while now. And it's a very- Official B-side, yeah. Official, yes. And it's a very uh, historically bent episode, which is right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, It's not quite, uh, because it is kind of talking about music in a way, it's not quite a, an are you telling me? Uh, Which, by the way, by the way, Nick, by the way, Nick, uh, I've been getting a lot of positive feedback about that episode, so just, uh, just be careful. I might, uh. We've had listeners I, say that they really liked that episode. Yes. I, well, who do you think I'm talking about? Well, your mom, your wife. I'm talking about <laughs> listeners. My, you did my, very my, good, My dear. mom is my number one listener. But no, so yes, for <laughs> listeners who maybe liked the historical bent of that, but were also kind of like, yeah, but you're a music podcast, so tell me about some fucking music. Uh, this is going to be like the perfect marriage of those two, because we're talking about a song whose history has got a very gruesome history to unto itself that's right boys Ooh. i'm about to take you on a on an adventure i'm about to take you on a grisly dark tale of murder mayhem and red hot jazz <gasps> <gasps> yeah ah! you can't see it but i'm doing the jazz hands <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so we're talking about the mysterious axeman's jazz and this uh, Steve is obviously obviously the primary researcher, and he will get into it. But this just has all of the juicy, sordid details you want in like a true crime story from near turn of the century, especially in hot Nolans. Ooh, mm. Nolans. Mm. Just I could use a I could use a ca- tall, cool mint julep and a delicious muffaletto. What is a muffaletto? You had me at mint julep. You lost me at muffaletto. Is that like a muffin with like a... Oh, a muffaletto. You can get get that at Dunkin' Donuts now. Yeah. Oh, God, shut up. No, it's a sandwich. It's a sando? It's a... Never mind. I assumed a muffaletto was like a macchiato with a muffin top at the rim of the cup. No, it's it's. Uh, look, I'm not getting into the history of that sandwich here today. Okay. No, you're getting into the, maybe you're getting into the history of jazz. Bit, maybe a little bit later. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about a. Um, if any of our listeners, and if we have any sort of crossover appeal with uh, listeners who also listen to true crime podcasts, surely you've heard at least eighteen hundred podcasts about this particular true crime story. But it's uh, it's music related, so it bears talking about. I mean, true crime f- 
hardcore fans might know about this, but I feel like the average person does not know about this. I did not know about this until I stumbled upon it uh, like a year or so ago. Ooh, uh, I'm excited. I haven't heard anything about this. So this is like, All right. you know, I, I need more jazz in my life and uh, apparently more murder stuff. So <laughs> Yeah, these are the two things on the chalkboard. Check. Murder, <laughs> check. Music stuff, check. So we will be discussing uh, the... Axeman of New Orleans. Axeman! Uh, not that kind of axe. Yes. Uh, who, uh, oh, wait, Steve, I gotta, a- I gotta undo all my research. I only knew about this yeah. uh, wonderful guitarist. Yeah. Uh, who was an uncaught, uh, an unknown American serial killer uh, whose murders spanned between uh, May of 1918 and October of 1919. And for over a year... He straight up terrorized the people of New Orleans through random and brutal axe murders that left six dead and six more gruesomely injured. Damn. Oh, my God. Imagine being one of the survivors being like, the axe man came at me with his saxophone and axe. I mean, is that what, is that what he did? Is he, is he play some bad music and then... Yeah, uh, sax is his axe. <laughs> yes, the sax man. No, uh... <laughs> And Steve, you said he was never caught, right? So in theory, he's he never could, caught. He could still be out there. He could still be out there if he was like also part machine by this point. No, or... if he if uh, first murders were 1918, so if he was one when he committed the murders, he'd he'd be about a hundred, which is not unrealistic. That's an, an ax baby killer. Which well, would mean <laughs> nobody ID'd him. We don't know if it was a baby or a man. I was. I was going to make the bit about is is it a baby who murders with an axe or is it an axe murderer who attacks babies but I I don't want to because one of the victims is a baby. Oh, oh no. shit. So, was it one of the survivors? Yeah, maybe maybe I'll no, shut up. Mike, it wasn't one of the survivors. <laughs> hey it, man, you said some people were well, gruesomely when the, when the baby survived. confronted the axe murderer, was the baby okay? Yeah, no. So, okay. So we'll get into it. We should maybe let Steve get into <laughs> we'll, it then. We'll get into that. So this is um the, let me just set the time frame for you a little bit. So this is 1918 and 1919. Now, World War I, the, the costliest, deadliest war in human history up until this point, because um, the people love a sequel, am I right? Uh, was, uh, had just ended. The Treaty of Versailles was uh, signed in the middle of this year. Uh, in addition to that, the Spanish flu pandemic is uh, killing 150, 50 to 100 million people around the world throughout the course of this year. Uh, we have no idea what that's like. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess we we handled it better this time, right? Hundreds of thousands versus hundreds of millions. And there wasn't even that many people back then. Well, uh, several million had already been killed vis-a-vis the previously mentioned <laughs> World War One, So it kind of <laughs> compounded things a bit, <laughs> happening a year afterwards. Uh, this was also... Consider me compound disinterested in that. Okay. Uh, just, okay. <laughs> Nick, Nick, how can you throw your voice like that? I, I don't know. You're a, you're a puppet master. I'm just so happy I don't even want to question it. Um, this is also the nadir of American race relations. Like, over the course of this summer, between 1918 and 1919, is what's known historically as the Red Summer, where you've got, like, Dozens of racially motivated, like white supremacist terrorist massacres around the country. Uh, this was a year or so before the Tulsa massacre, which everyone's 
I think, a little bit better familiar with these days. Uh, this was also the year of the Elaine Massacre, Elaine, Arkansas Massacre, which is a really fucked up thing, Should, if anyone's interested in looking that up uh, later. Jesus. but uh, So this is all going on all at the same time. If we're, we're we're concerned about now, like oh gosh, too much bad thing, too many bad things are happening at once. It can get worse. Don't worry. <laughs> it can always get worse. It can always get worse. But on top of that, you also have some good things. So uh, what tends to happen? <laughs> shut up, Mike. What tends to happen historically is that following periods of like massive unrest and like social upheaval and trauma tend to be like these periods of like artistic and economic booms. So like after World Bring War 1 Bring out the flappers the, baby, right? Yeah, after World War 1 and the pan- and the the pandemic, you had the roaring 20s. After the depression and World War 2, you had the 50s, which were very uh, had a lot of like economic and artistic gains. Uh, after the fall of the cold end of the Cold War, you had the 90s. This is just how things happen. Yeah. Dude, and after this pandemic, it's going to be like the OnlyFans boom, you know? People people ch- checking in on getting Mike, pro- how do you make my serial killer episode about porn? <laughs> well, I don't notice, understand. You it. notice, Mike, the first thing you said about the advantages of the 20s were the flappers. The advantages <laughs> post-pandemic are OnlyFans. <laughs> um, but one of the artistic... Uh, sort of the like explosive artistic uh, evolutions that occur at this time. It's also the evolution of jazz music, um, and jazz music is. Uh, uh, hold on. Da, 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 da. A brief history of jazz. <laughs> I didn't have anything prepared, but I wanted to do something. Um, the uh, jazz as a musical genre uh, is sort of like was at this point in its infancy like it was embryonic it wasn't how we understand jazz much like the x-man murderer was exactly because he was one i get it whatever um and he had uh now they got me thinking about it so uh it was it was it evolved from blues and ragtime um and all these genres are created by african-americans in the late 19th and early 20th centuries uh and at the time of the x-man murders um uh Ragtime was like the most popular form of this, and jazz was just sort of starting out. Um, and uh, interesting f- uh, note, uh, its roots are not just in African-American music traditions and West African music traditions, um, but it's also it has a part of part of it comes from Sicilian music traditions uh, from from the King of Sicily in, in, uh, in Italy, um, which will actually come into play uh, because at this point in time, New Orleans had a very large, population of uh first generation italian immigrants from sicily um so is that a, is that a great place to get some sicilian pies well that sandwich i was mentioning before the muffaletto is a it, it comes from i'm saying it wrong and it's driving my wife crazy uh <laughs> comes from com, comes from the so it sort of comes out from there as well um but i won't get into the sandwich as much as i want to uh so you had jazz um jazz is characterized by uh, a number of things, including a call and response vocal, like use, like the band leader says something, and then the musicians respond to it with a piece of music. Um, uh, polyrhythms, where two rhythms are uh, played simultaneously, even though they're not obviously connected to one another, and also improvisation. Um, specifically, you know, so the- so so, uh, <laughs> so the sax guy, and then the uh, maybe the guy with the what's that with the cello. Is there a cello? Oh, the, in the, uh, the, the upright bass. bass. Oh, the upright bass. <laughs> the yeah. upright bass. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, you know, they they have a little scene together. 
a little back and forth, tell a couple music jokes. That oh, so like a, yes, but like a, that actually comes into play. That's a, there's a stronger element to that later in like the fifties with the where uh, there's like there's like dozens of subgenres to jazz. It's not this one monolith. Um, so like there's one called bebop, which is what you're thinking of, where it's like that. Like, I think I think Mike's oh, thinking of like UC bebop. <laughs> yeah, it's that. That's that sort of like hoity-toity. Like it's the notes you're not hearing, sort of jazz that well, comes later, where it's like, you know, like everybody's playing a solo at the same time and nobody's matching up to each other. That kind of thing. Oh, that's, that's more, like that's like when you get the asshole improvers who come out and they all start different scenes and they're not yes and in. Yeah, that's like. Um, and then they that's all. Not, sh- that's not traditional jazz. That's more like bebop and. Free jazz is what that's called. Now all I can think of is Rocksteady with like and Bebop, yes. and sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. He has sunglasses, doesn't he? Doesn't he have those purple sunglasses or is that Bebop? Oh, shit. Rocksteady is the rhinoceros, right? That would just make sense to me. Hold on. Let's stop and talk about this for 10 minutes because we got to figure <laughs> yeah. this out. Anywho. Um, many different kinds of jazz. Yeah, many different kinds. Specifically at this time, New Orleans, there's uh, different kinds of jazz depending on where the origins are. So there's like St. Louis jazz, which is different from Kansas City jazz. Uh, obviously, in this case, we're talking about New Orleans jazz, which is referred to as sort of traditional because it was sort of like the first. Uh, it goes by things. It goes by other things like hot jazz, which I made a joke before. And there is, unfortunately, a subgenre called Dixieland jazz. Uh, and not surprisingly, um, black musicians tend to not consider that uh, a part of the jazz tradition. No kidding. Is there a, now if there's hot jazz, is there cold jazz? You know what I mean? Like Yeah, maybe... that's called smooth jazz, and that was invented for white people so they don't feel bad. <laughs> cold, Steve. That's <laughs> uh so uh, that's um so that's starting to gain prominence at this point in time. Oh my god, jazz is like metal. In a lot of ways. All these different fucking all these fucking subgenres of bullshit. Oh yeah. Just switched up a few notes here. I think this is a new kind of jazz. Mike, and here I was thinking <laughs> that you meant in the musicianship required to play it, jazz and metal are very similar, but I should have assumed you would besmirch two wonderful genres of music somehow at the same time. Just because it's not written by peppy Europeans. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm given to, I'm given to, I've uh, been informed it's Mufaleta sandwich. Mufaleta. So, uh, yeah, so I've been saying it. I've been saying it very wrong. I have to swing by Duncan um, and pick one up. It sounds good. So this is <laughs> this is uh, this is sort of the milieu in which we find the jazz man discovers his uh, his sort of like the fertile soil which birthed the jazz man. Not jazz man, the axe man. I was, was going to say, say jazz man. The axe man. man. Um, now, <laughs> as with <laughs> as with uh, most serial killers. The axe man has a particular M.O. That's how you sort of denote serial killers. And at this point, there's maybe only like a couple, like the term serial killer doesn't exist. Like you've had H.H. H. Holmes, Albert Fish, and maybe like a couple of others. But it's not like in the 70s and the 60s where it's like everybody and their brother was a serial killer. It was um, just the in thing ah. to be. Yeah. Back in the good old days where everyone, you know, you can... <laughs> No, no, keep going, serial, Mike. Serial killing the profession. Oh my God, that's. Anywho, you can't make much money doing it, though. You know, it's <laughs> no, it's really more of a passion. Um, it's a hobby. The Axe Man, uh, his mo, despite his, despite the name, uh, might suggest uh, the Axe Man did not strictly kill people with an axe. Um, in many cases, he used a straight razor to slit throats, 
and then would use the axe to like bash them across the head. Like he wouldn't like hack them to death with the axe. The axe was more like a blunt instrument. Um, he, so he wasn't even using the axe, right? The no, couple he, of occasions maybe he was a baby, you know. Well, he's, he's, he's the couple of occasions, <laughs> the couple of occasions he actually tried to use the sharp end of the axe, he missed horribly. So I think at a certain and plus when it comes to serial killer pathology, you don't know. Maybe his whole thing was like he wasn't the thing that didn't excite him about the murder was not. Maybe he liked the blunt force trauma as opposed to the blood and the cutting up of people and things like that. I remember when my father hated how I chopped wood and he came over and bashed me with the other side of the axe and I decided that day anyone who looked like dad was going down. And that's the day I became <laughs> Axe Man. <laughs> so he uh, so he, he also, and Mike, you actually kind of, uh, without meaning to, obviously brought this up, uh, he did not carry an axe. Like he didn't bring it to the crime scene. He would find it in the house of his victim because everyone was, most people at this point had an axe for wood cutting because a lot of people were still using wood burning stoves. So he didn't even bring stuff to his murders. He just sort of like used stuff that he found there. So he just would wander into someone's house and be like, oh, what's handy? Oh, there, there we go. And then just grab their ax, kill them with it. And I'm assuming leave it at the scene. Yes, he would also do that. You know what a what a great a piece of shit. You know it's one it's one thing to go somewhere and murder somebody, but it's all it's just downright disrespectful to be like, oh, he killed me with my own axe. Can you believe this? He came up, he took my Mike, axe. I'm like, wait, no, Mike, that's you're, my axe. Are you saying that to Saint Peter? You you'll never believe what happened. The indignity of it all. He killed me with my own axe. Can you believe it, Saint Peter? Mike, I love how we've already established, according to Steve, that this man killed a baby, and you're saying the most outrageous thing he did was use the axes of the people in their own home. It's just insult to injury. Well, insult to death. It's, add I guess. injury to injury. <laughs> yeah. So. He would carry. He would not carry the axe. He'd find it on the premises himself. Um, he wouldn't. Nothing would ever be stolen. So you, you would. You could rule out like failed burglaries. Like you know, like you try to rob someone and it goes wrong. And you have to kill them. I guess uh, makes sense to me. Can you imagine the, if the hamburger reacted that way? <laughs> if he just oh oh Ronald, like you stop me from getting these burgers. You're going down, clown. Let's go. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, stop. Stop. He's already dead. Um, the, where's, uh, where's that fucking chicken? <laughs> the killer would force entry into homes, often using a chisel to break open back doors. And uh, the many of the victims were, many or most of the victims were Italian immigrants, uh, which would suggest that uh, a lot of historians suggest that means he was most likely a, like a, a white laborer. Because, again, there was a large, uh, you basically had Southern whites, African-Americans, and a, uh, an immigrant Sicilian population. And that's based, the basic makeup of New Orleans at this time. So you had a lot of sort of white Southerners seeing uh, these Italian immigrants as like they weren't, they weren't considered black, according to the Southern whites, but they also didn't consider them white. So they consider them like a whole separate race unto themselves. Sounds to me like the Axeman... Was a bit of a racist. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Well, that's that's what the, <laughs> that's what a lot of historians tend to suggest is that he was most likely a white laborer who was upset at um, because all of the many of the victims were of the same ethnicity and this in the same business. 
that he was most likely he could have been a rival or Wait, what like was a white the, guy who was mad. He was a wood chopper. He was a wood chopper. He must have been. I was going to ask what what was the business? Most of the victims were uh, grocers, were grocers. Uh, or or in one way or another they were small business owners, but many of them were grocers. Um, so uh, many of the victims were Italian immigrants. Um, some criminologists suggest that he specifically targeted women and only killed men if they interfered. Um, and there's one very unlikely theory, and we'll get to that later, that suggests that the killer may have, in addition to slaking whatever drove him to kill, used his notoriety to promote jazz music. Wait, the connection <laughs> is made. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I could see like a like a SoundCloud rapper like after they start killing people dropping their mixtape at the at the crime scenes. Don't give like, them any ideas. <laughs> yeah. That's what the when we were talking about Facebook Live a couple weeks ago. I was like, that's what they fucking do on Facebook Live, and it sickens me. I tell you what, all I gotta do is kill about five more people, and I'm gonna make it to the top. I just know it. Um. So we're gonna get into the this now now that I've sort of throwing some intro in there to sort of get us up to speed we're gonna spend a little bit of time hopefully not too lagubriously getting we're gonna talk Lug- into the heavy Th- stuff is that that's a word <laughs> Lug- Lug- yeah. yes oh, I've um we're gonna I, talk about- that was that nelly Furtado song lugubrious girl you're teasing me you lugubrious girl you're kind of slow you're taking your time and surely you know. Lugubrious. That's a good. That's a good new. I'm adding that to my vocab. Oh hell I'm yeah! Just gonna initial that in the brain. Lugubrious. A little wordy day but calendar. Steve, I believe you were saying that in the context of we will be discussing some heavy stuff. So yeah, listen, listeners, get into, be forewarned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a um, just a little warning. We're gonna get into the crimes and the victims. And Mike, just because this happened a hundred years ago, doesn't mean we can make fun of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will. Just be Mike. Just because they were killed by a baby doesn't mean you can make fun of any of this. <laughs> Nick, I set uh, I, no, I, I set Mike it's, I set Mike up so that I could make the jokes. <laughs> now, Mike, is... don't be a bastard. Anyway, <laughs> murder. So first, uh, according to historian Miriam Davis, which is where I got a lot of my research from, um, the Axeman murders of 1918, 1919 were actually also likely connected to a series of earlier attacks uh, committed by a man known only as the Cleaver. In 1910 and 1911, now this guy would go to houses of again Italian immigrants, but the, he would bring a hatchet with him, and he would like brain people over the head with the hatchet. But eventually, like the theory is, like he's sort of like as serial killers tend to do, like evolving. Like, ah, uh, I'm so sick of having to bring my own fucking murder weapon with me. This is such a pain in the butt. <laughs> There's got to be a better way about this. Let me take six years to figure it out. <laughs> And then he what? He started using their cleavers. He st- no, no. He he That's brought he, his own yeah. cleaver. Yeah. But see, so you, you cle- say he was probably a white laborer, but you make him sound like he was like a California Valley girl. Yeah. Well, that's just. <laughs> uh, you God, you guys, I can't keep bringing my own murder weapon. So ah, uh, so heavy. God. <laughs> so the cleaver attacks uh, up until the last victim were just attacks. He hadn't killed anyone until 1911. Oh, with so the murder. he was re- he was really bad at it. He was trying to figure himself out. He was finding himself, as oh, many serial killers okay. do. Um, and uh, culminated in 1911 with the murder of the Italian grocer, an Italian grocer by the name of Joe Davi, whose brains were literally beaten out of his skull with Jeez. blows so strong they knocked his mattress off at a 15-degree angle. Wait. 
So like he was in bed and attacked and he was hit so hard and so many times that the mattress shifted 15 degrees. <laughs> okay, Steve. Now. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yes, Mike. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I've smashed pretty hard and moved my bed 15 degrees. I mean... Oh. This is going to be the one that gets us, guys. Okay, so that was in 1911. Uh, six years would go... Six, six, or so, six or seven years would go by until May 23rd, 1918. Uh, Joseph and Catherine Maggio were the proprietors of a bar room and grocery. Uh, and they would be the first victims of the newly christened Axemen's Rage. Uh, the killer broke into their home and slit both of their throats with a straight razor. And Catherine's throat was cut so deep, he nearly decapitated her. Ugh. Before leaving, Ugh. He, he bashed both of their heads in with the Maggio's own axe to a for whatever reason, they never was able. They never were able to determine. But one theory was that he was trying to obscure the true cause of death. Um, <laughs> Catherine obviously died pretty immediately, but Joseph lived long enough for his brothers Jake and Andrew to find him two hours later before he then succumbed to his own wounds minutes later. Uh, and then Andrew, his brother in particular, would become a suspect when the police discovered the discarded straight razor belonged to him, a barber. <gasps> They were also suspicious because Andrew lived next door at the time and had been at home when the murders occurred. But he claimed to hear nothing because he was blackout drunk, because he had been celebrating earlier in the evening that he, was, that he had gotten into the Navy. And he eventually, because there was no hard evidence, they, they know they, he had to be released as a suspect. But we're ignoring the obvious thing. It obviously couldn't have been Andrew's the brother, right? Yeah. It couldn't have been Andrew because you said he was out drinking and... Babies can't go out to drink. They're not old God enough. God damn it. So, Nick, we have so no many of these to get through. No you cannot make that joke for every of them. <laughs> Maybe he had a fake ID. He had Just a couple like the, baby friends. The worst, bouncers, the worst bouncers in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, it checks out. <laughs> Three babies in a trench coat just walk in. Goo goo gaga. We're in the Navy now. <laughs> in the Navy. Goo goo ga ga go ga. I pee pee my pants. All right. So those were the first formal. Do you know where they. When did the term Axeman get coined? Like, was it after. I will, I will get to okay. I will. I will get to that. Um, a month later on June 27th, 1918, and I won't go through every single one of these, but uh, June 27th, 1918, uh, Louis Bessemer and Harriet Lowe were the first to be attacked but not killed. Uh, Bessemer and his mistress, Harriet Lowe, um, were attacked in the back of Bessemer's grocery store. He was struck in the back of the head with his own hatchet that he had in the house, uh, fracturing his skull, Ugh. and Lowe was hacked over her left ear. So he actually tried to get her with a sharp edge. but Oh, he, was, he went against his, uh, his M.O.? He's he, like, fought, oh. he, he tried to. Well, that's why some criminolo criminologists theorize that he was actually after the women because he would tend to be a little bit more violent with them than with the men. Yeah, dude, that's. Um, but that's, because ooh, I guess he he ooh. wasn't good at it, he missed and instead of like cutting into her, hacked her over her left ear. So she got a gash, but it didn't. Ah, like, she like, she uh, he yeah. Van Gogh her man. He Van Gogh her up bad. She, she he didn't hack it off. He just sort of hacked at it. And she didn't become um, a brilliant artist, but no. Um, they were discovered unconscious the next morning by the groceries bakery delivery guy. Uh, wait, wait, wait. With, so, so they. 
why didn't he kill them? Now this is this is a this is kind of a through line because as with a lot of things, I don't want to like make it not fun, not fun, but you know, I don't want to like cut the mystery, but uh, ultimately a lot of what we know about the Axeman murders came from sensationalized accounts uh, like newspapers at the time and as with most things legend often overtakes fact because Fake the legend news. is news is that what you're saying the legend is usually more <laughs> intriguing and more like firing to the imagination um, so if you dig deeper you'll find that there's like certain inconsistencies with the victims like uh, there's theories about there being like early a mafia involvement like there wasn't the mafia as we know it at this time but they all a lot of these folks all came from Sicily they had personal grudges that they didn't air out in public. They kept it within like the neighborhood and the and the group within like the 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 the, the community uh, and didn't involve the police. So uh, you know some of these axemen, some of the th- attacks that were related to the axemen may have been related to an individual who was going by that moniker who was doing things, but they also might have been related to like early stage mafia type stuff. Um, but that's the thing. They never. They there were similarities, which is why they all get grouped together. But there's right, never anything right. actually connecting ah, them. Aside never from anything these actually. Ah. <laughs> Let me Call ask back. you guys a question. <laughs> <laughs> these two are kind of interesting too, because um, the first suspect in the in this attack was an African American man named Louis Ubicon, who had been their employee previously. Uh, and this being New Orleans at the nadir of American relations, of race relations, obviously, like within five minutes, the nearby black guy was, uh, you know, arrested and charged despite having no evidence. It's fucked up. And uh, but because there was no real evidence, he was eventually cleared. Thank goodness. Um, and during the next two months, Lowe uh, would make a lot of scandalous and false claims when questioned. Like she, for instance, police discovered letters written by Bessemer in German, and he was then put under investigation by federal authorities for espionage because they <laughs> thought he might have been a German spy. Um, and when they brought it to his mistress, who was still in the hospital, they were like, is he? And she was like, yeah, I think so. Probably. I'm pretty sure. And so they were like, sounds good to us, because that's how police work was done in those days. Sounds good to me. And then they tried to get him for espionage, but again, had to eventually let, it was let go. And so they had, yeah, they had a whole, and then he, she like shit on the police chief. Like he was talking about how he wasn't doing his job. So he got back at her by releasing to the press that she was a mistress. So that like, Don't yeah, th- it was like a whole thing. That sounds crazy. Like just a bunch of shit talking in the newspapers about these. <laughs> so those are the first four. And then after, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, later later that year in August, following an attack by a pregnant woman named Anna Schneider and an elderly man named Joseph Romano in two separate incidences in August of 1918, that's when the police began to publicly speculate that these were connected crimes. Um, and that's when people started to, like, come up. That's when he started to be known as the Axeman. Um, the Romano murder specifically, so he attacked Anna Schneider. She survived, uh, but he killed the elderly man, Joseph Romano. And uh, that murder created a state of, like, frenzy and chaos in the city, and the residents were living in constant fear of the axe man. And then police received, uh, like, slew of reports where citizens claimed to have seen an axe man, a guy with an axe lurking around their neighborhoods, or they would find, like, abandoned axes in their backyards. 
Uh, <laughs> but a lot of that was hearsay and people just freaking the fuck out. And Holy another attack. Geez. You know, I, wow. Yeah. Another attack, though, wouldn't. I, I just want to get through the, the rough stuff, is all. Uh, another attack wouldn't occur <laughs> for another for seven months with the Cartamelias. Charles, Rosie, and infant daughter Mary oh, Jesus. were residents of Gretna, a New Orleans suburb. And on the night of March 10th, 1919, a neighbor, Orlando Giordano, who was also a grocer, a grocer, rushed to the house, the Cortamelia house, after hearing screams. And upon arriving, he discovered all three had been attacked. Charles and Rosie's skulls had been fractured, and their two-year-old daughter had been killed by a blow to the back of the neck. Oh, Jesus. And as before, the back door had been forced open by a chisel, and a bloody axe was found on the back porch. Afterwards, Rosie accused Yorlando, who had found them, and his son Frank as being responsible. Her husband Charles would deny it, and then despite Yorlando being 70 what? years old... Yes, yeah, I'm like... She's like, these motherfuckers did this, and her husband's like, nah, nah. Nah. Yeah, basically. Wow. Uh, talk, talk about not stepping up with your with the, you have marriage problems after that. You you thought the blow to the back of your head was bad. Wait till the divorce papers come, buddy. They would get divorced. Specifically, they would get divorced because Orlando, who was sixty nine, and Frank, who was too fat to fit through the back door, were charged and arrested, <laughs> uh, or arrested and charged, and would let her be convicted. Frank would be sentenced to hang, and Orlando would spend uh, be sentenced to spend the rest of his life in prison. But after tr- after the trial, Charles divorced Rosie, and then she admitted that she falsely accused the Giordanos, and then they were set free. Damn! Wait, wow. <laughs> she, so she really had a bone to pick with those guys. That's what I mean. Like that's when that's you, crazy. When you look back at this. A lot of these people seem to have beefs with each other, and they were all part of the same community that kept to themselves mostly. Um, so you're not sure which ones were axe man related and which ones were just people like fucking with each other. But Dude, you know, people like to take advantage of uncertainty, mystery, and fear. Be like, yo. Oh, yes, yes, they do, Mike. <laughs> that leads me to the next bit here. Um, you're so good at these, Mike. Thank you for helping me. Oh, I, 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 I do my best, Steve. I do. <laughs> Nick, you're Nick. You're useless. <laughs> Hey, I'm in an episode about the Axe Man. I'm just being the Ask Man. I'm asking to learn more. Yo, if if I was a serial killer that made people shit themselves to death, I would be the Lax Man. Mike, as much as I want to know the logistics of how you'd carry out a string of murders that way, uh, I think we do need to get into the actual, I'm assuming, jazz part of the... Accident. Oh my jazz. god, wait, there's yeah. jazz involved, yeah. There's jazz involved, yes. So, Still a music podcast. Three days following the Cortamilia murder, a letter purportedly sent by the killer himself was published in New Orleans newspapers. They have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible. Even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orlinians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit 
I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. Now to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I'm very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm of fancy. The Axeman. Steve, I'm not going to lie. I have never been so scared and turned on at the same time. <laughs> Dude! That's what I aim for. Dude! That was crazy. That was... So, <sighs> so he... following, following that publication, Mike, on that night that he mentioned, every dance hall in New Orleans was filled to capacity. <laughs> and professional and amateur jazz musicians played at hundreds of parties across the city. Any house that had so much as a piano was playing whatever they conceived jazz to be all throughout the night. And that night, there were no murders. Steve. Yeah? So you're telling me that... uh, Wrong show, Mike. (laughs) That a publication put out this supposed poem from the Axeman... That or then, a letter, but or a letter, uh, to then which everybody responded by pumping out jazz music, which which would really push the movement of jazz. I think these people were duped. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure jazz was a was jazz po- lobbyist. <laughs> I think there was a, someone was like, you know what? I got an idea. This jazz stuff's good, but we really, we really need everyone to do it. You know, some people aren't sure if they like it or not. We just need to, you know, the we got to scare the public right into jazz, and then you know what? They'll learn to love it. They'll learn to love it after. But we got to really, really pump it into them. Mike, that would be like saying the CEO of Zoom created the coronavirus so more people would get on video calls. No. Nick, it would be if the if there was a letter from the virus that was like, "Hey, listen, everyone who uses Zoom for their you know conference calls and you know aren't going to get COVID." 
And then everyone's like, oh, I, you know, I stayed at home and I used Zoom all day and I, I don't have the coronavirus. Like, Well, also, Steve, there was no verification that that was actually even sent by the killer. No, none. Well, actually, so... it couldn't have been because babies can't write. Exactly. <laughs> Their Nick, hands are you... too small to hold exactly. the pen. <laughs> Nick, you Sherlock Holmes motherfucker, you've done it. <laughs> you found the connecting thread. I, I love this. I love this because, A... A, it's from the Axeman, and boy, is he he's just a whole new level of fucked up. Or B, it was from somebody who really wanted Jazz to take off and was they like, They saw gotta- an opportunity. <laughs> wow, families are getting slaughtered. Let me use this to have more Jazz. People are going to like the Jazz. I, it will make them feel better. But let's About go, all let's the murder go. and destruction. <laughs> that's, that's one of, so that's like the sort of not really substantiated jokey theory that some folks have is that it was a ploy to increase the interest in jazz music. Uh, but as Nick said, there's never really any evidence that that letter was sent by the so-called Axe Man. Uh, for one, it's definitely definitely sounds like uh, somebody like way too up their own ass uh, and poetic. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're throwing Tartarus out. They're throwing, like, it's, yeah. it's very, even though it, like, it's not a poem, it's very waxing philosophically, which I don't know. So the the historian that I relied on for when I did most of my research, Miriam Davis, uh, who wrote a book on it a, a couple of years, came out a couple of years ago. Um, her theory, she has a pet theory that the letter was actually written by a local musician and jazz composer named Joseph John Davila. Um, you because don't say he's Davila da- in this case. Days after that letter was published, he published a sheet a piece of sheet music called The Mysterious Axeman's Jazz. And Nick, if you'd like to play a little bit of that. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. That's jazz? No. That's not the crime. I've just walked into a freaking saloon. The true crime here, Mike, is that that's actually <laughs> ragtime. Yeah, that's what I'm... that's really more that's more ragtime than jazz. But so, again, it was a John Davila. Uh, if he's playing this ragtime bullshit when the when the when the axe man requested jazz, how come he didn't get his throat slit? That guy should have been bashed over the head for playing that shit at the wrong time, right? Well, because that's again the, one of the going theories is that there perhaps wasn't even really an axe man. Altogether, if he was, he only committed maybe a couple of these murders, and then all of these people just had beefs with each other and got like wrapped up in like, I'll, I know we'll make it look like the Axe Man did it, or maybe oh, the Axe so- Man, di- or maybe the Axe Man didn't actually like the, he he thought he knew what jazz was and liked it, but he didn't know like what actually jazz was. It'd be like if a killer said everyone must listen to rock music or else I'll kill you, and then he walked by a house playing Coldplay, and like they were fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see if anyone here is going to get murdered. Let me just listen in. Questions of science. <laughs> he goes back. All, <laughs> he goes down a whole string uh, of houses. They're good. They're good. Cold play. Imagine dragons. Bastille. <laughs> like uh, they're whatever. They're, they're all good. All right. They don't get murdered. All right. If the if the axe man was trying to promote rock music, I believe he would bash people with an electric guitar. Yes, he would still be the axe man. Yeah, or a rock. The most literal murderer of all time. (laughs) He rolls it off of things onto them. Is that what you were saying? 
There, Steve. He kills, he bashes them over the head with a rock, stuffs them in a barrel, and rolls them down hills. <laughs> oh, oh, well, Chief, looks like this one got rock and rolled. <laughs> The chief, the chief's like the, the, chief, the chief's like Chuck Berry's grandfather. Wait a second, that sounds that sounds like something interesting. I'm gonna write that down. The cover, by the way, I don't I don't have a I didn't have a picture of it here, but the uh, the cover for the sheet music, yeah, there it is. Uh, for people who want to look it up, is a depicts a family playing uh, jazz music on their piano at home with terrified looks on their faces. Like the dad has a bandage wrapped around his head. Uh, like the the oldest daughter is like looking through the front door onto an empty moonlit street. You can see everyone it's night looks out. like, yeah, everyone's like terrified and like little like a little drummer boy and a little trombone player. And then yeah, some, it's like, like this family looks like they're playing yeah. this jazz to stay alive. Yeah, what is with the duck? Oh, the racist duck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to say it out loud, but the uh, the the oh, duck in the picture shit. is definitely is definitely saying some things that are uh, when I say this this is like the nadir of American race relations. I not I'm not kidding when I say that in terms of like what's considered cool to say and do in in popular anything or public discourse. Um, but I'm not going to say it out loud because oh, we're not then. It's not oh, then anymore. Oh my god, Steve! Do you also know why the subtitle? Because the the song the the piano piece is called "The Mysterious Axman's Jazz," and then uh, parentheses "Don't Scare Me, Papa." Do you know what that was about? I think it's. I but I think you're pronouncing or not pronouncing it wrong. I think you're, it's it's coming out wrong. It's the mysterious Axman's jazz. Don't scare me, Papa. Ah, like the jazz is what is he doesn't scare him. But again, it doesn't make sense because the little the only. Children in this picture both look terrified, so obviously they are scared. <laughs> yeah, they're not play having a good the time. Snare drum. <laughs> that would have been you, Mike. Drums, the little boy's like, I don't think snare drums are used in jazz music. But Dad, I can't do polyrhythms on a snare drum. <laughs> the, the little the little girl's got a wash a washboard. I'm almost certain this isn't working. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, to your point that you made earlier, Mike, uh, this came out a couple of days after the letter. There, so therefore, the theory being that this guy wrote the letter, sent it in, published the music, and made a shit ton of money, which he did. And uh, and Mike, there's o- the only thing more American than jazz is cashing in on public hysteria for fame and profit. But isn't it also possible that... Um, you gotta give it up for Joey Davila, huh? For a true American entrepreneur. <laughs> Isn't it possible that, that Joseph John Davila was had been writing this, and then after all this happened, he's like, why don't I just call it the Mysterious Axman's Jazz and just cash in on it? Because it's like there were lyrics or anything. He just could have literally titled this whatever he wanted to. Yeah, it's like when, when Billy Joel was like, I got three mini songs, but I don't want to finish any of them. <laughs> I know. It's called Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. Genius. Done. So... <laughs> What happened murder-related after this? Were there still more murders? Yes. So three more attacks would occur following the publication of the letter. Steve Boca on August 10th and Sarah Lauman on September 3rd. Both survived with skull fractures, but in Lauman's case, uh, she survived with a skull fracture and several missing teeth because he had bashed her in the front of the face. Jesus. Again, going back to the theory that he was after the women more than he was the men. Did, um, did she see him? 
So neither of these victims who survived could remember anything about the attack, which was most likely due to the blunt force trauma to the head, because that was another... That was another through line. A lot of these survivors don't remember the attack happening because they were smacked in the head so hard. Uh, or, as the other theory goes, they just don't want to talk to the cops about it because it's like, you know, it's a it's a neighborhood thing. Like, they, we don't need to get other people involved in it. Um, though they would remember certain things, like Lauman would remember waking up and seeing, like, a large man draped in shadow standing over her bed. And then the next thing she knew, she was unconscious, and it was hours later, and she came to, uh, but doesn't remember, like, the actual moment of impact or what happened leading up to it. She just remembers seeing a guy standing over her bed, and then nothing. That's terrifying. Um, and then <laughs> finally, Christ. on October 27th, Mike Pepitone would be the last of the alleged Axemen attacks. His wife would see his wife would be awakened by a noise to see a large axe-wielding figure standing over their bed before fleeing. She turned to see her husband had been struck in the head and lay dead covered in his own blood with a splatter covering the majority of the room around her. And in that case, the going theory is that she woke up before she was going to get hers, basically. Like, he wow. killed the husband and then was going to attack her. She woke up just in time and then he was like shit and then ran out uh, and then uh, and then just as suddenly ooh, as just know, as suddenly you know what though you know what steve i don't know about that i don't know about that what you think she killed him no i think her fuckboy killed him okay there's she... no evidence about this but go ahead <laughs> i'm just saying man like the axe man's got no issue taking ladies down right He's already taken out the dude. Like, but aren't they usually asleep? Like, does he think like she has a chance to fight back or escape and identify me? Well, again, it's he like decapitated a lady with a razor. So, this is what this is why some of the theory are that a lot of these are perhaps not as related as they once were. That people were just like picking up, like we're doing things because of the hysteria and like trying to like, oh, the X Men did it. When in truth, it was something completely unrelated to it. Uh, yeah, like, that's, that's what yeah. I'm. That's what I'm saying, man. I'm just. Oh man, I think the axe man came in and killed my shitty husband. Damn. <laughs> Yo, Did okay, I say this, shitty? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know anything about these people who are from a hundred years ago. But you know, theoretically, it's a possibility, right? I mean, it, it's also a possibility that he's a demon from hell who likes what to does hit letter people seem with to indicate? the blood of an axe. <laughs> But you were saying these were the last killings or the last killings? Yes, I, I was just about to say, and just as suddenly as the murders began, they were over, and no one person was ever caught or identified, and no he, he similar got, murders ever He got ever the Spanish occurred. flu, man. <laughs> you that, know what? Could have. I bet that's what It's got entirely him. possible. <laughs> and then after this, there was a whole, um, there was like a whole like. Den, like a uh, denouement of like suspects that never really like panned out things like uh, uh, Mike uh, Pepitone, the last victim, like his wife uh, tracked down a guy uh, that she thought had done it and uh, killed him in like Los Angeles in 1920. Uh, but that was never actually 
proven. That was mm. just that was a rumor. You want to be less. yeah, I was gonna say you want to be really sure you're killing the right person before you go all the way to Los Angeles to murder someone. <laughs> yeah, just good advice to live by. <laughs> That's like a fucked up version of like when someone's like traveling across the country to to visit someone that they think they they'll fall in love with, yeah. but instead you're finding your perfect <laughs> murder victim. Uh, but and yeah just as suddenly as it uh, started uh, it was over and it uh, jazz took off so who's to say who's to say how successful he was I don't like the jazz man the or, axe man uh, <laughs> serial killer just call him the Mike's not a fan just call him the jazz man uh, just, he uh he seems like a like uh, he's either a he sounds like either he's a real fucked up bad guy, right? Or he's like the Slender Man of the 1918s. I was going to say, he's more like the William, Shpe- the William Shakespeare. He was either one really messed up guy who couldn't figure stuff out, or he was a bunch of people saying they were the same guy. <laughs> also, just the, the, the jauntiness of the actual Mysterious Axeman jazz song... Wait, did, it goes into minor. Yeah. What I was going to uh, say, those well, the, the general jauntiness of it, juxtaposed with the crimes that it came out of, does make it pretty yeah. creepy in a kind of cool, only in the historical context way. Like I right. like it's it's interesting and it's morbid and kind of dark, but it's the juxtaposition that I think kind of makes it interesting. But obviously, there are how many victims in total were associated with the Axe Man? Uh, Wasn't it six to nine? I want to say, but like only three of them actually were killed. Um, Gosh, and, this, and a, this guy's yeah, average six, six is... dead. No, six <laughs> dead and six injured. So okay. twelve total. Uh, so he's shooting fifty fifty. Yeah, yeah. That's you had the fifty percent chance to survive your encounter with the Axe Man. Is that what you're saying? You, you more or less, unless again, it was a bunch of different people doing the same thing. Unless every night a different person is trying to bludgeon you over the head with an axe. Um, and yeah, of course it goes in a minor. Nick, minor is the evil key. That's I know. how you tell that evil is a is a foot in music. I know. This is probably only like the second time in 140 episodes we've actually discussed music. But I yeah. gotta say the the. Uh, the major chord jauntiness in the beginning switched over to the. You go from a marching band to dancing skeletons. Yeah, I was gonna say it also kind of makes you feel like you're watching like a Felix the Cat or an early Mickey Mouse cartoon, it, it, <laughs> like Steamboat Willie. To be yes. honest, like a lot of that early music in those was ragtime. Um. But yeah, going going back to what you're saying about how like the music sort of does not correspond with the actual subject material. Uh, while I was researching, I was tr- I, I was listening to, to music, um, and I was specifically listening to smooth jazz, which is the... Uh, so, like, if you're, like, researching horrible, brutal murders, and then in the background, it's, and, and then she was killed with a axe to the face, and... Oh, that's yeah, that's some juxtaposition right there for you. That's yeah. 
I was just like, I don't, I don't feel right. This doesn't feel <laughs> right, guys. Yeah, no, that was some pretty gruesome stuff you uh, looked up there, Steve. But we appreciate your research. Yeah, I'm perfectly fine. Well, of course you are. You haven't been bludgeoned with an axe. And I hope, I hope you never are, Steve. Um, Me too. But thank you so much, Steve, for bringing this to light. And I guess thank you, listeners, for indulging us on this historical diversion into some of the more macabre aspects of the history of jazz in the United States. Uh... This was good. I was gonna say it was good fun. It wasn't exactly good fun, but I enjoyed. <laughs> this learning was good about fun, it. eh, fellows? I don't know. Good. I feel like I made some poor choice jokes. <laughs> <laughs> we all did. But that's lo- what we're, that's what we're about here on the Song Topsy Report. <laughs> Making bad jokes. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and dissecting bad, bizarre, and otherwise noteworthy music. And if you enjoy doing that along with us, listeners, please. Uh, consider following us on social media, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts if you have not done so already, uh, and following us at The Song Topsy Report on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And uh, Mr. Mike Russell, where can we find you? You can find me on my Instagram at MrMikeRussell.com. That's MrMR.D-O-T. And uh, yeah, like Nick said, you know, uh, check out our stuff through a review. Send us uh, your song suggestions that you'd like to see us dissect. What kind of bad, bizarre, noteworthy songs have tickled your fancy? And, um, I don't know. If you decided to become a serial killer, what do you hope your name would be? (laughs) Would it be the Spoon Savant? The... Spoon Savant? Savant, yeah. (laughs) That one. Uh... I'm going to kill you with a spoon. (laughs) Why a spoon? Because it hurts more. (laughs) Yes, Alan Rickman. Uh, The... Or, you know, what, I don't know, just pick a, pick a murder weapon and a fun name. <laughs> so weird party game. Well, be a fun, role, fun well, role-playing game for everyone. It's an, ice, you... it's an icebreaker for, like, new people, like, in a, in a club, like, to beat up. Yeah, I'm glad we're here celebrating Sarah's uh, 21st birthday. Uh, me, I'm, I'm Mike. Yeah. Hey, if you killed a bunch of people, what would you call yourself? <laughs> a monster. <laughs> Uh, and Steve, where can we find you? <laughs> oh, Jesus you can Christ. Find, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at yourmantrollo, on stephentrollinger.com, and uh, Dabber Devil Productions. All wonderful places. Uh, yes. And until next week, guys, that is it for uh, Baby Murderers in New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> that sounds... I like, mean, te- technically, that, it works That'd on be a great jazz band name, Nick. The Baby Murderers of New Orleans. <laughs> Oh my! Never mind. No, that'd be a maybe it would. Yeah, maybe it would not be. Is that like a death metal? Maybe for a death metal band. Okay. <laughs> um, we will reconsider that uh, in great depth. And until next week, uh, I am Nick Brigadier. I'm Mike Russell. And I'd be called the Fax Man. Fax Man. And uh, we will see you next week. Take care. <laughs>